As I mentioned, uh, our attention was picked up yesterday afternoon by, I think, Brianna Hutchison um, commented, hey, was there a shooting at Arby's? And that was like at 3.15. And suddenly, the rest of your day was picked up thinking about what was going on, trying to siphon out the false reports, true reports, listening to the radio, finding out it was somebody you knew. And of course, in, in all of it, you realize in a small town that if the next day is Sunday, people's thoughts are not just on those who need the Lord and all of this, or the tragedy of the circumstance, but they're also on, on that issue of death. Uh, how do we process it? What are we about as Christians? I have this verse on the top of the left-hand side from Ecclesiastes, a good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death and the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of countenance the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Well, it just dangles a huge bunch of, huge bunch, a sizable bunch, of contraries or things that you, I don't understand this. By sorrow of countenance is the heart made glad. We think that we, we get, we've got to go to the house of mourning because the living will lay it to heart. He actually gives you a reason. The house of the the wise are in the house of mourning. Now I like. We're a, we're a pretty social church. People are hospitable. People invite you over. Charming ladies laughing at all of your jokes. That's just, it's a great life here in Moscow, Idaho. And so it's hard to imagine that why would I choose a funeral? Now, once, once you have more than just the simple Jesus saves us from our sins and we have life eternal, which is the promise of the gospel, once you have the effects of that thought out, looking at the whole of Scripture, looking at how God has... Um, how God has has dealt with man, using death. What is the point of death? Now, it's something we can't address in a morning, but my, my, my mind was going to a certain passage, and I don't know if it's providential. We were sitting in the library talking about it last night after Graham had phoned, and, and um, it was just Gunn and Leslie and myself, and Gunn was flipping through the scriptures, and he said, Ezekiel 18, and I said, I just thought of that passage and quoted one of the lines from it. And then he read the rest of the passage. 
It had been something that had just for, for some reason been on my mind. Might have been the parish shootings. Ezekiel 18, which is second passage in. Now, there's going to be an aspect to this that certainly might raise questions, but I hope that a certain element of it resolves questions. That gives you, even with your own impending death, it could have been any one of us, walked in to see Dave Trail, get shot. Now there's a certainty that within about, how old are most of you? 30s? 40s? Some older. You're going to be dead in 50 years. 60 years? Maybe 70 years? But you're going to be dead. We're all going to get killed. We're all going to get killed by the situation. And we're all going to face, I tell my wife this regularly, cleaning my gun, that one of us is going to see the other one die. Rotate the cylinder. (laughs) And she's pretty sure she's going to see me die because she's been watching forensic files and she knows how to do it without getting caught. Mine will just be in a rage, I'm sure. We'll all watch these friends of ours. This is a joke with Fred Banks, because Fred is old. Mark's old, for that matter. Oldest man in the church, I think. Right? Let me check. Anybody older than Mark? There's Dirt, which is older than Mark. But, what are you, 64? 63. Fred Banks is 65. Just, you know, mind-boggling. Just way old. And I go take care of my father. Get him up in the morning, give him bath, get him dressed, get him on his way, rejoicing. Fellowship is good, but my gosh, is he old. He's going to be dead soon. We've got to, unless we're little Pollyannas, no offense, Glenda, to I know she says it's a wonderful book. Whatever the case, it's a cliche for having a naive view. What's going on with some of this? Where can we stand? Genesis 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the ground, man and beast and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. (laughs) Now some weeks like this week, in other weeks you feel different. At Super Bowl weekend it might be different. Watching the Olympics, it might be different. You're so excited. You see the, the, the splendor of hum, the human athlete. Did you watch that guy jump over the line to block the kicks? The Cam Cam whom? Yeah. Who knows what he's saying? It's Chancellor, Cam. Chancellor.
Chancellor, okay, Camp Chancellor. Well, he jumped over the line without touching any twice. Thank you for the color commentary from Al. It's amazing. You think you've never seen anything new in football? You watch the Olympics, you can't imagine any records being broken, and they're broken. You can't, you know, I love watching the mile, just because I can't believe human beings can move that fast. They have a stride about the length of this room. And so sometimes you just go, oh, all right with the world. And other weeks like this, many killed in Paris, 2,000 in Africa by Boko Haram, three in Moscow. Not by radical Islamic terror. Radical Islamic terror is just a form of evil. Same kind of evil this guy was in our town. And sometimes we feel like right before the flood. That's the passage, Genesis 6. I'm going to wipe everybody out. It's so bad. You ever feel so bad? I don't, you know, just don't care anymore. I just want to go home. I carrots in my garden. I just don't want to think about the world. And if God wants to judge it, I'm fine. Because really, you walk through campus. Oh, uh, Norm Wall was telling me that he had to go do an insurance report on a fraternity at WSU. And he said, I don't mean to speak ill of this fraternity, but this was worse than a sorority. He says, sororities are just awful. Women in sororities are just the most unclean pigs you can imagine. And they have to fumigate places at every break. He says, this fraternity was worse than a sorority. He, he had to stop his gag reflex. He was wearing a mask. He said he couldn't smoke his pipe on the way home. He was so tripwired he would have thrown up. Because, still, in this little town, with charming streets and cool businesses, every imagination of their heart is only evil continually. That's what we're about. Man's that way. And when man is that way, there's a basic contest of wills. God, who made heaven and earth, would rather you not be that way. He didn't make it to be that way. Stop being that way. It's enough to bother him. It's enough sometimes to want to destroy every living creature. Enough not only that he wanted to, but that he did. God's look down on man and we can be bothered, or gods can be bothered by things lower than them. This is the creator God. This is the God who made that world that, you notice the tension in this first passage. He was sorry that he did it. It was that bad. Now here, something happens. We wake up one morning, we find it's a bad week. We wake up one morning, there's not only killings and personal killings and, and illnesses and a friend dies 
on the day of his benefit concert. I don't know if any of you were at the benefit thing down at John's Alley last night. But I imagine it was subdued. Because he had died. And in the town where three people had been killed that day. Kind of hard to rock and roll. So it hits us, you know, some of the time. And what does it hit us with sometimes? Why, first, first, does God let it happen? Now, I, I'm not a determinist, so I don't think of God as causing it, but even someone who doesn't believe God causes it, why does God let it? It really bothers us when bad things happen. You know why it really bothers us when bad things happen? The same reason it really bothers God when bad things happen. Because the deity has been offended in both cases. You're bugged, even to the point of giving God some lip. We were praying for Laura Minnick, Laura Chang. Um, loss of her baby. She's got the mood on her of shaking her fist at God. And it's like, hold it. Gods get to do that. Gods get to do that. You don't get to do that. That's just the fact that you are angry with God. Why? It's his morality you're judging him by. It's his world that he made. But we have seized deity control. We want it our way. That's what every imagination of our hearts is only evil continually. We're just like the radical Muslims screeching about the blasphemy of someone. This is what happens to people who insult the prophet. This is what happens. We go, oh, what a barbaric, we do exactly the same thing. Our favorite Aunt Bernice dies. A friend is killed in a murder. All seems senseless. We start to screech, we start to bellyache, we start to feel that our God has been blasphemed. Why? Because we were crafting a world this does not fit in. We had willed a world that this does not fit in. We had commanded a world that this had not seemed to be interested in obeying. This guy who shot Terry, her adopted son, he didn't do what any of us wanted him to do. If any of us had been asked, we would have told him, no, you may not shoot her. He didn't obey. So we're really ticked. Hurt our feelings. Blasphemed our God. Not mm, Yahweh. The Ezekiel 18 passage, the next one, it starts out with this phrase, yet you say. This is at the end of God. The whole chapter is about God. Uh, uh, judging man by which direction he's going. 
and the soul that sins shall die. You won't be punished for your father's sins. You won't be credited with your father's righteousness. The soul that sins shall die. And it gets to this point. <coughs> Ezekiel 18.25 Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Because that's the question that should immediately come to your mind. If you're ministering to somebody and they got this hissy fit on about God, what is good? Let it happen. You say, why are you so evil? You're going to just sit there, yet you say, God is not just. And God says, the prophet says, uh, is it not you that are not just? Is it not you? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die for it. For the iniquity which he has committed, he shall die. And he discussed that in the preceding chapter. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is lawful and right, he shall save his life. Now, that didn't fit with the comprehensions of the people Ezekiel was talking to. And why did that not fit? Well, because most of us like to have a balance sheet. Like there's a there's a sum of things, and the more good I do, the more bad it outweighs. And we constantly jockey them back and forth. Well, if I sleep with my neighbor's wife, if I give to the poor, that will counteract some of that. If I give to the poor twice, it will counteract all of it. You can buy your way to a better state, because we think our measure of the moral world is one of inventory. How many bad things do I have? How many good things do I have? And God says, no, is it not my ways that are just? Because I'm telling you that the guy who did bad all of his life, the LDS hates this. You're trying to tell me that a guy could be a murderer and be on the, in the death penalty chamber and confess and repent and be saved? And say, yes. Like the thief on the cross. Yes, he could. God, they just can't imagine that. You've got to weigh works righteousness against works wickedness. That's the way we want justice to be. But of course, that presumes that we're in charge, both of good and bad. What will save you, what will not save you? What does God expect? And we are holding this against God. It says, he will save his life, the wicked man because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions which he had committed. He will surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are, not, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed against me, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, 
says the Lord God. So turn and live. Now the power of this, coming out of what he had just said and claimed was the just thing, is instead of you deciding how morality is going to be, God decides how's morality, morality going to be. Because, you know, frankly, if you talk to an atheist, you talk to any, one of the, the shooting fish in a barrel arguments is, let's talk about ethics. Let's talk about morality. What is it they, they want to be good, they like good, they think good is good. They have no way in Hades of proving it. They have to borrow good from Christians. So you know as a Christian, say, unless there's a God, unless there's a judgment, there is no good. I'm sorry, those are the rules. Oh no, there's the categorical imperative, there's whatever the, they're hoping is going to make us all want to be good. We know that they don't understand good, but most of us are setting up our lives as if history, and I love history, love history, and I love armies marching across the face of the earth, and I like great conquerors taking other people's stuff, and I, and I, I, I love duplicitous women being bad and, you know, like the Borgia women. But a lot of us seem to think that history is created for you to get good things. It is a sense of, and it's more for this generation. Other generations knew life is hard, then you die. This generation is, I got an iPhone, where's my stuff? They, they think the world is there to reward them because they exist. It was the great inflation. It was the free blue ribbon at the fair because you made a little Lego thing. Hey, Lego. You get a participation blue ribbon. There it is. Go home and brag. Empty brags. You think you get an award for showing up in life. And so bad things happen. I, I, don't, I, I don't understand this. Bad things are happening. A friend of mine died. That's not right. Where is the altar? Where does God need to come to offer a sacrifice to me so that I, the offended God, would not continue to be offended? Perhaps if I won at least a $10,000 lottery, even though my friend died, I could forgive the death of my friend if I would win the lottery over here. Where's the God? God says, no, you're not. I'm the one who makes justice and maybe you should think, because as soon as it switches, who is the justice agent? If you think you are the measure of justice, it becomes laughable by any description very quickly. When God is a just judge, the problem with that, you say, yeah, that makes good sense. Philosophically, I'm with you, Evan. God the judge, all morality, everyone has to submit to it. The cosmic order is sustained by God and his will and his way. He designed the world to fit this. Yes, this makes perfectly good sense. Then God says, and you will do now what? You hopefully, you'll repent and turn from your transgressions. You will cast away from you. 
Because back in verse 28, I didn't mention this, talks about the man who repented. Because he considered. You have a choice. Either you are the judge of heaven and earth, and your little offenses, your little snits, your little petulant reactions are the way it ought to be because you're a god and you must be obeyed. Or, Yahweh is the God, and he must be obeyed. Which way are you turning in repentance? God has no pleasure in the death of anyone. Death, remember, came into the world through sin, Adam. We don't get to When you start to measure our, our psychological presence when we're in this state, getting offended by life not turning out for us. And we sort of think there's kind of a higher, nobler thing about feeling sorry for yourself. Some people actually recreate in feeling sorry for themselves. It's not about that either. It's not about how things turn out for you. It's not about whether your friend was killed. I just think of something, think about it. A friend of mine was killed yesterday. How do I feel about that? I don't think Terry was a believer. How do I feel about that? Is God God? Is He just? Is He loving? Is He merciful? She died. Because all of us insist on every imagination of our heart and only evil continually. And that young man wasn't part of Terry's plan, but that young man decided by whatever motivation that every imagination of his heart was going to seize his sense of justice. No different than the rest of us. Just how we try to seize it. Some of you stamp your foot, some of you get annoyed, some of you get bitter, some of you get angry, some of you get violent. Because you're little gods, you've got to punish those who didn't obey you. The only place for goodness, the only place for righteousness, is in the God who can judge all men justly for what they have done. So your obligation is to turn to him. What you have when you try to be in charge of life is just a little boutique morality. It has all the things that you really want to keep about goodness. You know, I'm really about family. I'm really about, you know, faith. What else can you be really about without really insulting yourself? I'm really about, you know, not hurting anyone else. Oh, it's nice to know that. That we see our anger at the world not going our way, because guess what? You can't judge the world. Oh, people try. People try. They get depressed. They throw fits. Because they're little gods. If you rest in God, if you turn back to God, turn and live is what the promise is, because if you go this other way, 
this inventory of success, what you think your world's supposed to be, that pile of success you, whether it's money, success, advancement, popularity, whatever you th might think that, ought, the oughtness, you know, my family. Because you're an idiot, you will have done it wrong. We were talking in drones yesterday about planned economies. Now why people can't plan economies? Why do we go, oh, Barack Obama's in charge of the checkbook. Oh, heavens. What are we gonna do? Planned economies. I don't care if Congress plans it, I don't care if the Democrats and Republicans plan it. Other people planning the economy. Why? Because the economy is a bigger thing than that. And nobody has that kind of mind. And the same is true with morality. It's a, it's a world that is tied in with the very nature of creation, all the way down to its ground. And we're running around making these little boutique moralities like we could live on the surface of this planet making a morality that we could follow. And we could stack things up and those piles of life will collapse on us and kill us. Because and not only will our own piles collapse on us, but somebody else right next door is making a pile and he's at home cleaning his guns and he's not joking. He's a nut. And you're going to get caught in the crossfire. Or he loves Allah way too much. And he's going to blow himself up at Winco. So, what are we going to do? We're going to quit acting like that's the case. We will turn and live. I have this passage out of John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And as we learn from Ezekiel, it's which way you turned, not which way you piled. You can't run over to the pile of good deeds and say, look God, if I was being rotten on the last day of my life to my neighbor, but I had piled up good deeds on the day before, hoping it would cancel out. That's not how it works. Because though that is a person who is just, I am the measure of what is moral and immoral in my life. God says, no, you have to be pursuing me. So you had better have turned to me and be pursuing holiness. Pursuing the good. Turning toward it. 1 Corinthians 15.54 says when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is thy victory O death where is thy sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Everything we're hurt by is somebody else implementing the exact same philosophy we hold. They're just implementing it according to their will. Yeah, but it's not my will. It's not what I want. That's the whole thing. As long as you don't hurt somebody else. Where'd you get that idea? I want to hurt other people. And if I want to hurt other people, who are you to say I shouldn't? Well, I don't like it. I don't care if you don't like it. I am God of my system. And if I want to shoot 15 people, I will. The sting of all that is sin. It's seeing that death and, and evil. And why is it sting? Why does it? I mean, why does what is sin make it a sting? Well, one, you can't stop it. But well, you know, why don't we like animals? Go eh, eh, so we die. Had a good run, so I died. Got my foot caught in a trap, so I'm dead. They're pretty. They're pretty stoic about it. Animals generally, they just. Well, because they, what does he say in Ecclesiastes? He's put eternity into man's heart so that he might not know what will come hereafter. He didn't say he put eternity into man's heart so he could figure out what would come hereafter, but that he might not know. What happens when you know that eternity exists and you don't know what it holds? Eternity exists, you don't know what it holds, and you've been bad. There's a sting to death, people sweating it out, people fearing the judgment. Sin's the sting, not the judgment. Judgment makes it sin. And the law lets you know what sin is. That's how you know how powerful sin is. Now, We know a few things from this, that, that this is a battle between every man doing what is right in his own eyes. This is a battle between every imagination and thoughts of your heart and God. Where is morality? You want morality? You have to bow the knee to God. You can't have your own morality. You have to turn to him. And he, knowing that morality, the failure to be moral his way, is destructive in his creation. People designing their moralities who could not put a car engine together, which is a pretty simple machine. Okay? I know people who, if I took apart a can opener, you know what the kind you build on the counter? put it there in pieces in front of them, and good luck with that. They wouldn't know. They'd be throwing it against the wall within five minutes. You can't put a can opener together and you're going to design a morality. Good for you. I have here on the side that it's, uh, I hear hold my beer, watch this minute. That's what, that's what we're like. We're a bunch of rednecks standing around morality experimenting with our lives. Of course it kills us. Of course the pile of stupid that we build up 
fall on us and kill us. And sometimes somebody else's pile of stupid collapses on us and kills us too. We fought with the creation. We fought with the creator. What do you want it to do to us? If nothing, it's supposed to kill us. I would think we'd expect nothing but death. You watch those, you know, awkward videos. And the guy deserves to die. Whatever he was doing, rocket skiing or something. We have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Presumed in that is that you turn to him. Presumed in that. So turn and live. That's who life is for. Those who have turned. I left out this passage here at the, from Genesis 6. Genesis 6, 8. God says, I am sorry that he made man. Genesis 6, 8 says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God is watching for those who turn to him. God is watching for those who fear him. God is watching for those who sought him. Because the world is filled with every imagination of their heart. He has gone through this before. Or he has seen it clearly. When Jesus sees it clearly, he's walking over the Mount of Olives. He looks down on Jerusalem. Puts his hands in his pockets, if those things had pockets. Here is the city that is called by his name, who's not going to know the day of her visitation. And he weeps over her unbelief. God is grieved. You think you had a rough week? He's had a rough few millennia. Always having to resist the desire to wipe us out again. But he does find. He does look. It does find Noah's. One place, another place in Ezekiel, I didn't think of looking this passage up, but God tells Ezekiel, he says, you know, Jerusalem, even if Noah, Job, and Daniel were in this city, I wouldn't spare it. It was that bad. He didn't spare the world, but he did spare Noah. And look at this last passage. 2 Peter 2. And he goes back to the same issue. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of nether gloom to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven other persons when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction and made them an example to those who were to be ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the licentiousness of the wicked, for by what that righteous man saw and heard as he lived among them, he was vexed in his righteous soul day after day with their lawless deeds. If that's all true, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. The Lord knows how. So how do you stand in a city that has just had three people killed, another wounded badly, I don't know if you'll survive. 
How do you how do you stand? Ever open a history book? Read stuff? The amount of functional alcoholism at the time of the First Great Awakening was not close to 100% in England. And that's in our Protestant country. Of course, the Protestants, you know, beer. We don't realize, we can't, we sort of walk around with this sunglasses, something tinted on, looking at our, our, our golden age in which we live, and looking at our iPhones, and looking at our HD screens, and everything is cleaned up, and all of our, atten- our entertainments have nice narrative tied up, loose ends, everything is good, good people are good, even the bad people are somewhat good. But every once in a while you see the wickedness. What kind of God do you have? You're turning towards God in this situation. The power of death destroyed. It's not recreational for God. It's punishment. It's what we deserve. The sting is removed if we turn toward him. If we turn and live, it's because of the answer to our sin. It's because of God's answer to the law. I think we're, are you aware there's a student loan crisis? Some of you might be part of the crisis. A student loan crisis, which a lot of people are standing around kind of waiting for the crisis to really build up ahead of steam so that someone will just say, ah, don't bother paying it back. That's what they're waiting for. They really want this pile of stupid they made in their life that's teetering someone to come in with a backhoe pick it up, take it off to the dump and let you start again your big pile of stupid won't fall on you and won't kill you but we encourage a world in which everybody is building the pile of stupid and somebody stupid might kill you and all of the stupid added up over 6,000 years will kill you in the end so I need the sting removed. I need death put in its place. My future is open. To, I need to be able to walk into his presence and get the well done, good, faithful servant. So ask yourself, which way am I turning? It's all about which way you're turning. It's all about which God you're serving and which view of morality. Are you believing him? And when he says something is true, you go, yes, sir, I don't like it. It doesn't fit my worldview. It didn't fit what my social professor said, but you said it. I believe it. Do you believe your God? Do you turn towards your God? Do you pursue your God? Which way are you turning? From what to what? It's a simple equation, really, when you stop and figure out the war between the gods. Evan Wilson, Yahweh. How's that going to work out for Evan? He should give up on Evan and turn towards God. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're thankful that you've given us freedom from the sting of death in your Son as we have stood before you in the midst of a wicked and corrupt generation. 
where death and the collapse of our stupidity is going to kill us, Lord. We ask that you would help us look at that death that's going to come upon us at some point, that physical death, Lord, with a certain courage, confidence, knowing that we've turned towards you and your Son, and that in him and in your Holy Spirit we'll have lived a life that is a remedy to all the damage that sinful man has done. Or we're grateful that you did not destroy us all. We're grateful that each one of us has been given a chance and that we could be the reason that you didn't preserve this town. Keep your saints faithful, Lord, rejoicing in your life and victorious over death. In your son's name, amen.